Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display His glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. Foreigners shall till your land and dress your vines. But you shall be called priests of the Lord. You shall be named ministers of God. You shall enjoy the wealth of the nations. And in their riches you shall glory. Because their shame was double, and dishonor was proclaimed as their lot, therefore they shall possess a double portion. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When was the last time you were in a fight? I don't mean like a fist fight. At least I hope you weren't in a fist fight recently. I mean like an emotional fight, like a fight uh, between uh, someone that you really care about or maybe somebody in your workplace, a spouse or a child, uh, somebody at your school, someone that you can't run away from. But you can't just log off of Facebook and walk away from it. Someone where you know that this, is, this hurts, this is painful. What's that time you were in a fight? I tried to think of an example that I could share with you. You know, I like to be vulnerable with you and to share those kinds of moments in my life for the sake of uh, honoring God or showing what God can do. But this one, I couldn't. It was a little too vulnerable. <laughs> a little too much shame. <laughs> Isn't it difficult when we find ourselves in those moments, whatever one you have in mind, isn't it difficult to work through those feelings? So much tension. Maybe you're feeling it now, the, the tension of even just a tense conversation where we disagree and maybe you don't fight in your family, but you just get kind of stuck and mad at each other and then maybe you just walk away because it's so awkward. What's that feel like for you? That's a tension, that's a conflict that's unavoidable in relationships, for sure, in all of life. I've kept hearing that uh, throughout this coronavirus pandemic that conflict is an opportunity. <laughs> it's an opportunity for transformation and growth, but yet when we get into this nitty-gritty of everyday life and relationships, it doesn't feel like an opportunity at all. It feels more like a prison. Just the tension that makes it hard to even look at one another. To engage or smile. Maybe to even be in the same room. That kind of fighting, that kind of, uh, of tension in our relationships can feel like an emotional prison. 
And perhaps the greatest thing that we can do, the most loving thing that we can do when we find ourselves in that place, if we've been in a fight or in a tense conversation, the most loving thing that we can do is just to come back. Just to be present. Just to stay engaged. To say the shame that I might be feeling or the guilt or the pain is not as important as staying in a relationship with this person. Just by coming back into the room after a fight, you might be communicating so much more love than your words could ever express. Now, it's important to move on to a deeper level of maybe saying, I'm sorry. Maybe offering forgiveness or accepting an apology. But maybe the most important thing that we can do when we find ourselves uh, in an emotional prison or on the outside of an emotional prison looking into somebody else's, the most important thing to do is to come to them. To approach them. There's a different kind of prison that's far more important for us to talk about today, and that's the spiritual prison that we find ourselves in as a consequence of sin. See, sin is the fight of our lives. All of us. It always has been, and it always will be. We can't get away from it. As humans... We can't do anything about sin and we're constantly fighting against it. That's the reality. And that fight that we experience, that we engage in, causes tension in our lives. We feel it. We don't always acknowledge it. See, sin is easier to walk away from than another person in a relationship. Sin is easier to cover up or to uh, not acknowledge, to just pretend that it's going to get better. It's sometimes what we try to do, just like in a relationship. We say, well, it wasn't that bad. I'm probably going to be forgiven. I hope that it will get better. Maybe it will. We can get away with that in our relationships, but with sin, uh, there are consequences And the greatest consequence is that when we don't acknowledge our sin, we stay in this spiritual prison. And we start to believe this illusion that there's separation between us and God. We're not able to receive the grace of God and the love of God, forgiveness of God, because we're not acknowledging the problem in the first place. It's a spiritual prison that we find ourselves in. And we may not... Think of it in those terms. We may not want to acknowledge and confess our sin. But we feel that tension. We feel it in the forms of um, stress, of anxiety. Not to minimize anxiety or depression, but it shows up in that way. We feel hopelessness. We feel isolation. We may feel anger or frustration. Consequence of sin either within us or between us us and other people. Sin on a societal level is a very real problem. All leaving us in this spiritual prison. Now we've been talking about the Israelites, last week we did, about uh, this prison that they find themselves in. Not a, uh, spirit, not a literal prison like we would envision that maybe we have in our minds right now. But in the form of exile. Of being captive. Not necessarily in a building but in a foreign land. Having watched their, uh, their community, their uh, city of Jerusalem be destroyed, losing loved ones, losing their way of life, 
and then being brought into another place, having to adjust to new customs, new ways of life under the oppression of another nation. can't imagine that kind of darkness. That's really what we talked at length about last week, is the darkness that, that, would, that, that we would feel in that kind of a scenario. And thankfully, we don't ever have to worry about that. So grateful uh, for the protections and the freedoms that we have in this country. But we do experience darkness, just not in a similar way. And it's into this darkness that this prophecy is given. Isaiah gives this prophecy saying that one day the pain, the darkness, the frustration, the anger, the suffering that the Israelites had been experiencing, one day that would be transformed into everlasting joy. Sounds like pretty good news, doesn't it? Especially when you consider the context. But uh, this was the prophecy that was given. And unfortunately, those Israelites, they weren't the ones to experience that. But just the hope that would come through hearing this prophecy of saying that one day God was going to set things right. Just that hope would be powerful for them. During Advent, we celebrate the fact that uh, Jesus has come into the darkness. And we recognize this text as Uh, being about Jesus. But you know, that wasn't always the case. Jesus declares uh, when He comes onto the scene that this prophecy was about Him and would have been a key way of declaring that He was the Messiah, the Lord's anointed one. The Spirit of the Lord was upon Jesus. If we read uh, Luke's Gospel, one of the first things that we read about is that Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And then Jesus goes out into the wilderness to be tested, to prove himself, or maybe just to to prove to Satan that uh, he's the real deal. I don't think Jesus needed to prove himself to anyone, not even himself. Uh, Then Jesus begins his ministry, and he brings the disciples along with him, recruits the disciples. Uh, In the meantime, or right before that, he heals a man with an unclean spirit, He heals uh, someone at Simon's house. He cleanses a leper. And then we get to this interesting... Oh, I'm sorry, you guys. I missed the most important part. (laughs) Right after Jesus is out in the wilderness, uh, he he goes back to Nazareth, his hometown. uh, And he goes to the synagogue and he stands up. Now think think of the tension of this moment. Jesus comes out. He's, he's baptized in, uh, with the Holy Spirit. He goes out into the wilderness, proves to Satan that he is the Messiah. Then he goes back to Nazareth, goes into the synagogue, walks up to the front where they normally would read the Scriptures, and he reads this very text. Our text in Luke reads, He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To let the oppressed go free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. It's kind of like a mic drop in today's world. It's just sort of like a mic drop. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. Can you imagine this moment? The weight and for some the joy of this moment. Can you imagine? Jesus basically comes onto the scene, reads this text and says, I have arrived. 
I am here. I am the anointed one. And I am going to bring deliverance, freedom to the captives. I'm going to free the the people who are oppressed. I'm going to proclaim the good news of the Lord. And now we come to the text that I started to read. I was so excited about this text uh, that I wanted to go to it first. Because we read of Jesus uh, beginning his ministry after he declares that he's the Messiah, sort of in a cryptic way. He doesn't flat out say that. Jesus goes and starts uh, performing some healings and recruits his disciples. He heals the paralytic. And this is the time when he says for the first time, I'll read this to you, friend, after he heals the paralytic, friend, your sins are forgiven you. This is when the Pharisees start to really take offense. Who does this guy think he is? Saying that he can forgive sins. Because uh, in the Jewish faith, there was a whole process for atoning for sins. Making amends for it. Like a a specific way of saying, I'm sorry. To uh, bridge the gap, so to speak, between uh, us and God that sin has caused. And the Pharisees believed that the way that they did it was just right. Because God said so. And now Jesus comes onto the scene and says, Hey, your, your sins are forgiven. I pardon you. I release you from that prison. And then, so they start grumbling and Jesus says, well, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is that possibly the whole reason that He comes and starts uh, performing miracles, healing people, uh, preaching, providing for people physical blessings, is so that we would know that He has the power and authority to forgive sin. It's a pretty important thing to take away from Jesus' life and ministry. What we see with Jesus is that He brings spiritual deliverance to us from the prison of sin through offering forgiveness to us when we confess and acknowledge our sin. That's how Jesus makes a way for us to be freed, to get out of this spiritual prison. He says, I'll forgive you. But one of the most important things that I think we can see is that Jesus comes to us Remember when I talk about uh, the most important thing that you can do in a, when you're experienced a fight, when there's been a, a fracture in a relationship, is to come back. Well, Jesus, first of all, shows love to us just by coming. Just by coming in the first place. Sin has caused a wrong in the relationship. has caused a separation. There's tension there. It's awkward. There's nothing that we can do. But Jesus comes to us. Walks into the darkness brings light, brings healing, brings transformation and hope, restoration through forgiveness. This is the good news. This is why Jesus came. He says it Himself. To proclaim liberty, to release the prisoners. And the freedom that we experience from the loving forgiveness of Christ it leads us to this transformation that we couldn't otherwise experience. Did you notice in the text when I was reading it just the contrast between uh, captivity and, and freedom of ashes to garland? 
There's, there's many others that uh, you can read. Uh, there are different states of being that are transformed. Mourning into gladness and joy. But also, new purpose of being people. Becoming people who bring restoration. Who bring hope to others. Who bring healing to others. Who declare this message of good news. Of release from the prison of sin. The spiritual prison. With the same posture of love and grace that Jesus brings it to us. That's a a kind of transformation that we can't really comprehend. A transformation of what we experience from day to day on the inside, but also a transformation of purpose, of meaning in our life, of the impact that we can have, not for us, but for the sake of others and for the sake of Jesus, for honoring God. That's the transformation that can come through conflict, through the tension of our sin, when we acknowledge it and when we confess it so that we can receive the forgiveness that Jesus wants to give us. But unfortunately, you know as well as I do, that we avoid acknowledging sin. We kind of downplay it. We walk away from it and say, it's not a big deal. You know, I know that I'm forgiven. It'll get better. I'll try better next time. Just like we would in a relationship. And it may be true. And it is true that we're forgiven. It is true that God continues to love us no matter what. No matter how badly we fail. No matter what we think of ourselves, God continues to love us and to be present to us in our lives. But friends, what we miss when we don't confess, when we don't acknowledge our sin, is we miss the transformation that's possible. We miss the freedom. We don't get to experience that release that Jesus offers when He gives us the forgiveness. And, most importantly, when we receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers, we know deep down in a a way different way how much He loves us. You can't really comprehend the love of Jesus unless you've experienced the forgiveness that He offers. That's the real blessing of confession. That's the real blessing of this battle, this fight that we have, the fight of our lives with sin, is that it can become an opportunity for growth when we turn to our Savior and say, Lord, I'm sorry, but I'm also grateful that You forgive me, that You love me that you continue to give me another chance and that you don't give up on me. You don't leave this relationship like maybe I've experienced in my life. You don't ever leave me. You continue to pursue me. You continue to pour out grace upon grace. Isaiah uh, makes some promises. and We see these as coming uh, in the person of Christ that Christ brings us comfort to our souls as we've mentioned knowing that we're loved, knowing that we're forgiven. He brings us new purpose and meaning in our lives that we're not likely to experience without first accepting the forgiveness. He brings everlasting joy as a consequence of being set free. I want to read this part to you. It's not as likely. See, this is the tragedy when we avoid difficult uh, conversations, 
when we don't reconcile in relationships, and when we don't confess our sin to God, we miss this opportunity. The last verse that I read to you, uh, verse 7, because their shame was double and their dishonor was proclaimed as their lot, therefore, therefore they shall possess a double portion. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. I can remember the, some of the fights that maybe I've been in. And I'm not talking about you know, really letting it rip. Even just the tension where you just, oh, it's so hard. But when that relationship is mended, when there's reconciliation, when there's forgiveness, when there's healing, oh, that feels so good, doesn't it? When that shame or the guilt that you had been feeling, I don't know, maybe for an hour, maybe for days, maybe for years sometimes, when that's all of a sudden gone and you feel like this relationship has been restored, doesn't that feel so good? Has for me. Friends, we can't comprehend the everlasting joy that is possible with Jesus when we realize and accept the forgiveness that He offers. First, that He comes to us and loves us. That He approaches us. There's nothing that we've done to earn that. He approaches us in grace. It's what we celebrate in Advent, that Jesus comes to us as a child for the purpose of setting us free so that we could know the love and grace, the forgiveness that He offers, so that we could be set free well, this relationship could be restored. Friends, I pray as we move forward that you would know this freedom that's found in Christ. That you would accept the forgiveness that He offers first by acknowledging and confessing your sin. Most importantly, so that you could know the love that Jesus has for you. Amen. As we respond to this message, we're going to have a moment of silence, but first I want to um, ask you these two questions.